Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. That's the very beginning. Did you recognize it? Every valley shall be... That's in there too. And the glory, the glory of the Lord. And that's in there too. Oh, thou that tellest good tidings. And that's it. Isaiah 40 is a wonderful chapter. Read it all when you get home. And that should give us a clue. All those, all those quotations from Isaiah 40 are to be found in Handel's Messiah. Messiah. So there's a hook to hang our ideas on to start with. Isaiah 40 has got something to do with the Messiah. The earlier chapters of Isaiah, before chapter 40, were written against the backdrop of Assyrian aggression in Judah against Jerusalem with a constant fear that they would be overrun. So it's full of dire warnings. Eventually, of course, Jerusalem fell. Not to the Assyrians, but to the Babylonians. And a great many of the inhabitants of Jerusalem were exiled to Babylon. Now, life in Babylon was not unpleasant. A great city, the Hanging Gardens, rich, fertile land, plenty of food. But for the godly, life in Babylon was hard. The exile placed them as foreigners in a strange land. Jerusalem was far off and in ruins. And we could read a little bit of Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked. They asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land? For the godly, that exile was hard. So in this chapter, chapter 40, Isaiah shifts his focus. 150 years have passed since Hezekiah. The people are in exile. Isaiah writes God's new message for these people a message of hope a message of comfort and as we read this chapter I think we grasp one of the great and wonderful things about the Bible these words of comfort were written for the Jewish nation in Babylon a long way from here round about I suppose five six hundred BC a long time ago. So these words were written for people a long time ago, a long way off. But they hold for us a bigger truth. They paint a greater picture of greater importance. We read the words. And maybe like me, 
you hear the music of Handel's Messiah in your head and you know that the words apply not just to that situation, to the exiles in Babylon, but also they point to God's promise of a Messiah, a promise clasped to the heart of every Jew, a promise realised on the cross on Good Friday, a promise sealed on Easter Sunday, a promise made at great cost. A cost we remember this morning as we recognise our Saviour in bread and wine, his flesh, his blood, who came to earth and became our flesh and blood. But I'm afraid I'm running ahead of myself. We need to look at two things. Because Isaiah writes here of two things. He writes the comfortable words, the promise. So we need to know what that is. And we need to know why we should believe it. Because Isaiah writes that too. So what is the message? Well, we start at the beginning. Comfort my people. My people. My people. And I think immediately... You will be my people and I will be your God. And I think of the promises, the promises made to Noah, to Abraham, to Jacob. My people, the people of the promise. God reminds them that he hasn't forgotten them. They may feel far off, but he hasn't forgotten them. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, he says. Her punishment is ended. The exile is nearly over. They are going home. Prepare the way for the Lord. So I had a look at the journey from Babylon to Jerusalem. Babylon, the ruins of it at any rate, lie about 50 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. On the river Euphrates, as I said, a fertile, rich place. But to get to Jerusalem, you have to go south, into the desert. An average temperature of 40 degrees in the summer. Average, so that includes a nighttime temperature as well. It's hot. It's very hot. I can remember Rick describing to me riding on his motorbike in Gujarat. He said on the hot days it was like holding up the hairdryer on full just in front of your face. It was hot. That desert extends all the way down through southern Iraq to the border with Jordan and beyond through Jordan. Hundreds and hundreds of miles of it. This journey is 900 miles long. Mostly desert. As you approach the River Jordan, the desert gives way to mountains, so you climb thousands of metres. And then the Jordan itself, part of the Great Rift Valley, you plunge down to 400 metres below sea level, just north of the Dead Sea. And having got down there, you climb up the mountains of the West Bank to get to Jerusalem. So the journey 
nearly a thousand miles, desert, unrelenting, hot, mountains, down to the valley, more mountains. And suddenly, I read the words of Isaiah and I start to understand. In the desert, prepare a way for the Lord. Every valley shall be exalted, lifted up, and every mountain made low. Those are the things, those are the barriers, the physical barriers, for the people getting back to Jerusalem. The way for the Lord is through the desert, up the mountains, down the valley, up the mountains again. And God says, it's not that hard, I will make it easy. Those who trust in the Lord will walk and not grow faint. Now we know why that's important. They've got a walk of three or four months to get back. So the journey might be daunting, but God says he will make it easy. But I think from that little snippet of Psalm 137, there's a spiritual journey to make as well. The people have to learn again to sing the songs of Zion. They've had generations in the wilderness. They're going home. Get ready, says God. So there's the message. Why should we believe it? Why do we believe anything? Supposing I offer you the choice of a £50 note with the Queen's head on it and the signature of the Governor of the Bank of England with the alternative of a scrap of paper signed by B that says I owe you 50 quid. Now which one are you going to be able to take down to Tesco's and spend? Which one of those is believable, is acceptable? And why? Why isn't my IU any good at Tesco's? It's because of who makes the promise. And Isaiah says, this promise is precious to you because of who makes it. And he goes on and says, this is who makes you the promise. A God who is powerful. <clears throat> he has measured the oceans in the palm of his hand. Think of that walk through the hot desert, up the mountains to a cool spring, and you cup a handful of water. But God cups the oceans themselves. He has marked off the heavens with the breadth of his hand. And I imagine trying to check if a piece of furniture will fit. And I measure it off with the breadth of my hand. But God measures off the heavens, the universe, all of creation, with the breadth of his hand. He weighed the mountains and hills in the scales. And I think of the market trader piling up the vegetables in the pan and checking to see if I'm getting the right weight. God has whole mountain ranges on his scales. Hmm, another hill there, perhaps. Oh, yes, that's just about right. 
God is powerful. He is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. That's whom he is. But he is tender too. He tends his flock, gathering the lambs in his arms, gently leading the mother with young. God is powerful. God is tender. And God is wise. Isaiah says, who can fathom his spirit? Who could enlighten him? Who could teach him, show him the path of understanding? Not one of us, not one. God is powerful, God is tender, God is wise. This is who makes the promise. This is why we believe it will be kept. So we have a promise. A promise that we can believe because of who makes it. But what does it mean today? Two and a half thousand years later. When we're in a bad place. When God seems far off. As I was this week when I visited my father. In desperation. Perhaps we should read this chapter and hear again God's promises and hear again who God is. Perhaps we should gaze at the heavens. He spread out the stars like a canopy measured across the universe, the galaxies with the breadth of his hand. Perhaps we should look around at the earth. He measured out the oceans. He weighed the mountain ranges. All that we see is his handiwork. The handiwork of our God, who is tender and gentle, who will gather you in his arms and clasp you to his bosom, who has promised that his spirit will empower you letting you walk and run, even to rise up like the eagle. Our God, who has come to us in glory, and will come again. And when we consider these things, then we will be getting ourselves ready. Even though our hearts may be in the desert, the wilderness and the rough ground, even though our spirits may be struggling up the mountains and sinking to the depths, getting ourselves ready means preparing a highway for the Lord, a highway in our hearts, in our spirits, because it's here, in our hearts, in our spirits, that God seeks a path. It is here that he will come in glory. It is here that he will reveal himself to all people. That is where we place our sure and certain hope. We entrust our hearts and our spirits to a God who is tender and strong, who is wise beyond our understanding, a creator, the creator and shepherd.
who keeps his promises from generation to generation, whose love endures forever, full of sacrificial compassion. Remember, as you eat bread and drink wine, this is our God. And his message? Get ready, you're coming home. Get ready. You're coming home.